Today's scripture is Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of the Lord. Okay. We're finally there. (laughs) To the word of God. Um, Let's go to verse... Verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Here's what it says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Plenty. I got the money. I got the comfort. I got the security. I got the... I got my, everything is just going right. I got the girlfriend. I got the good car. You know, you know just, just promotions. Just everything is going great. Or um, I just lost my job. I got cancer. Um, my friend just got th- thrown into prison. My wife is leaving me. We're, I'm not sure where our next meal is coming from. Can you say that? Can you say that? I think most of us feel like we can handle all the good stuff. You know, the the, the good stuff. (laughs) If all the good stuff happened, the plenty. But can you actually say this? I know how to be brought low. I know the secret in in any and every circumstance. It's an unbelievable thing to say. So the Bible... So you understand that this is part of my job. The Bible has all kinds of wild and strange things that it says. My job is to help you pay attention and actually get you to hear it. There's something about the human ear, the human mind that just stuffs it up when it comes to the things of God. But it's what it says. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Can you say that? How many of you think you can honestly say, I can do that, I can do that? I see some people shaking. Yeah, I see some very honest people there. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, think I can do that. Um, I think when I was a younger man, for sure I could not do that. I think I've learned a little something about um, this. And that's what today's message is going to be about. And um, I'm going to give you an introduction. And I'm going to then, we're going to, then we'll do it in three parts. I'll give you an introduction. And, uh, and I want to get this introduction right. And then I will do, and then I'll give you, and then I'll try to hit three parts quickly. So um, I'll do an introduction. And part one is going to be not knowing how to be brought low. I think that's not too hard, but I want to talk about that. I think that's not too hard for us to imagine. I won't spend too much time on that. But that'll be part one, not knowing how to be brought low. Part two, not knowing how to abound. Mm. I think the vast majority of people don't know how to abound. That's a problem, too. 
And then part three, all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, to get this right, I actually wrote this introduction down. Let me go through it, all right? Easter is not only about Jesus, who is the Son of God, conquering death, but it's actually the down payment in history that there is a humanity, a new kind of humanity that can defeat death. You get it? This new kind of humanity can take on all manners of curveballs that life brings, including all the lows which makes us feel like we're dying. We're not even dead yet, but we feel like we're dying. <laughs> Easter is about that kind of humanity. So people go, well, this is a thing that happened you know, a long time ago, supposedly. That's what the Christians say. It happened a long time ago. And, and then this person actually came back from the death dead, and then everybody celebrates it. But even to this, and so like that's what a lot of uh, unbelievers think. Um, a lot of Christians think it's something that happened 2,000 years ago, but actually you don't really quite understand. It's, it actually has profound relevance today. It, has, it spills over into the quality of humanity that's living today. Today. The gospel is not only that Jesus can conquer death because he's God himself. If that were the case, if that's all it was about, then actually we're really in a lot of trouble. Of course, God can conquer death because God can conquer anything. So that's a no-brainer. Even the devil knows this. And you don't have to be a Christian to know this. So that's just a, a, a bare piece of knowledge. So there's a lot of Christians who think, well, if Jesus is the Son of God, then well, then he's God, so then, of course, he can conquer death. That's really cool that he conquered death. I'm really glad that he conquered death. That's cool. It's a great day that we're going to celebrate this. That's not enough. It's not enough. Here's the gospel. Of course, Jesus is the Son of God, but what's important is that Jesus is a man. Okay? He's fully human. His humanity is like ours. In every important way, in every way that matters, he is human. But his, he has a life of God so powerfully inside of him that the fullness of his humanity, so full that the fullness of humanity in the way that, we in, that, that was intended, that death can't actually defeat him. See? When God made human beings, he made them to image himself. And the thing that makes God God is, well, death can't touch God. That's one of the things that makes God God. The humanity that we were intended to be was to image God, and that means that Jesus could die, because he's human, but the resurrection meant that he would not be defeated by death. It's a different kind of humanity. And in and through him, so this is what the gospel is. If you believe in Jesus, you're united to Jesus Christ, his humanity. The humanity, which is so filled with his divinity, that's the most human, is the most human human being there ever was. And that humanity can now be passed on to us so that it isn't just that after we die that we will conquer death. It is that while we live, 
we can conquer death. Hmm. Get it? While we live, death is coming after us all the time. We can beat it back. That's what these verses are about. So throughout history, there are some people who have learned this thing. Paul is one of them. That's what he says. All right? I have learned this secret. I have learned this secret. It's something you learn. Now, it's something you believe, but just as you know, it's, it's a lot of these things. You, know, you, you, you become a Christian, but there are things to learn. Do you first believe in the gospel, but you must begin to believe the gospel more and more? You have the gospel, but the gospel teaches you things. And as you begin to teach, it begins to, as you learn these things, your humanity, the divine humanity of Jesus starts to fill out in you. And it gives you a secret and a power to handle anything that death has to tear down life. So let me ask you this. What is it? So I've been thinking about this, these, these verses for, for years, actually, but especially these last few weeks. Especially these last few weeks. So I, I keep looking at these verses and says, what is it in human beings that makes us incapable of being able to claim what Paul claims. So what is it that makes us unable to handle life's lows and even highs? I mean, like, I know how to handle the highs. You probably don't. But we'll get to that. What is it that makes us incapable of doing this? Is it just the circumstances? Good circumstances mean a good life. Bad circumstances mean a bad life, right? Isn't that right? Wrong. Is wrong. So here's what we think. That's a very shallow view of life. A good life means good circumstances. So most of us think, I'm basically a good person. And if good things happen to me, then I'll have a good life. Wrong. That is absolutely wrong. I know that we think that. In fact, we don't even think it. We just feel it. <laughs> I mean, you know that the things that you think the most and you believe the most, you don't even think, you just feel it. You just feel it down to the bottom of your soul. I don't wake up in the morning and go, my mom loves me. I just know it. I know it's so darn, I never even have to question it. It's just, I just feel it. Those are the things we believe the most. We also believe this. As long as I'm a basically a good person. As long as good things happen to me, I'll have a good life. I'm telling you, it's absolutely wrong. Here's what makes you a good person. What makes a person good is revealed by how he or she handles what life throws at you. That's what makes a person really good. It's how you handle what life happens, what brings to you. It's how you handle the circumstances, how you react to the circumstances. That's what will reveal whether you're actually good or not whether there's actually a real good humanity inside of you or not. But actually, what I think happens is the highs and lows in life mostly reveal that we're not filled with a divine life that can take on death, that can take on all manner of things which are killing us. Instead, what we're really filled with is, is our weakness, our sinfulness, our laziness, our blindness, our selfishness, 
our self-centeredness. That's what it really shows. What is it inside of most people which makes us unable to deal with life, both in its lows and highs, with grace, righteousness, generosity, patience, courage, peace, inner security, and genuine and real love and mercy toward others. You see, you've got to have all these things. If you don't have all these things, you're really not a good person. That's just it. Because if you don't have all these things, grace, righteousness, generosity, patience, courage, peace, security, genuine love and mercy toward others, somewhere along the line, you'll do something really bad. All the other really nasty stuff which is killing us, it just spills out. And how many of us can say that this is the life that we lead? Probably not many. But there is, I think we can get down to one key cancer. There is one key cancer. There is a cancer of the human heart, and I would like to name it, and it is pride. It is pride. Actually, when the Bible says unbelief, half the time it's talking about pride. Pride and unbelief are just two flip sides of the same thing. They really are. No God, no salvation, no glorious grace and love. Pride. What is pride? Here's what pride is. Pride is absolute self-fixation, self-consumption. It's always about me. Why is, it, why is unbelief in God related to that? Here's why. Because if God is who he says he is, He's the most beautiful being. He's the most powerful being. He's the most gentle and righteous person. And he's with you and he's nearby. Then your fears can go away. You're always rich. You're always safe. You're, you can always be generous. You can always be patient. But if that person isn't, it doesn't exist, or you don't think that it exists, you know all that's left? Just you. That's all that's left. Me. For most of us, life is a prison made of me. That's why these last few, I, I promise, no more Andy Dufresne. <laughs> you know, last three weeks, I mean, I keep, I keep talking about Andy Dufresne and Shawshank Redemption, no more Andy Dufresne, you know, uh, uh, illustrations. But... For most of us, life is a prison of me. That's just pride. See? Um, there's no God, so his person, his power, his presence, it's either doesn't exist, or it's very far away, or doesn't seem very relevant. So all that's left is me, fixation upon me. It's all about me. What about me? What do I get out of this? How come I'm getting the raw deal in this? Look how good I'm doing. Look how great I am. Do I look good? Oh, no, I don't look good. Oh, no, look how fat I'm getting. Look how ugly I'm. Oh, my goodness. Look at these clothes. This is the only clothes I got. Look at this ugly car that I drive. Everybody, oh, my life isn't turning out. Me, see? Doesn't this sound like you? Am, am I just getting a little too personal here? Doesn't this sound like 
what you say? I, 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 you know, I don't, I'm not like reading your mind because it takes one to know one. I'm just telling you all the things I say. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happens up here. <laughs> I'm just telling you all the things that are up here. Oh, yeah. And I get in front of the mirror like, yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> and, then, and then like this big honk of zit happens. I'm like, oh, gosh, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's like, how can I pop this thing so that I won't be so ugly and everybody will think I'm ugly? But that's like life. That's like everything in life. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give you one quote, and let's get to the three points. This is a, this is a, a brilliant Christian writer, deep Christian writer, named Philip Yancey. And this is what he says. There are two tragedies in life. Not getting what you want, and getting what you want. That's what he says. Doesn't that, what? Isn't that like everything? <laughs> yes. There are two tragedies in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. <laughs> those, are, those are the two tragedies in life, according to Philip Yancey. Today, we're going to talk about the third way. So part one, not knowing how to be brought low. Part two, not knowing how to abound. And part three, all things through Christ. All right, not knowing how to be brought low. Okay. There is a way that when bad things happen to you, when you're brought low, can you handle it? Can you handle it with poise, courage, persistence? Or are you like most people? Here's what I, I notice most people handling it. Um, there are the anger types. Is that you? Anger. So it comes out usually in multiple ways. Ang it's, it's like there's a way of different words for it. Blame, <laughs> resentment, bitterness, okay? It's all the same. It's all anger, okay? One way or the other. So it's usually somebody else screwed this up. Why me? <laughs> Why me? How to it could be really minor, like this past Monday, the TV guy was supposed to fix the buzz on my plasma TV. He didn't show up. For the next hour and a half, I called this person, that person, this person, that person. I was not a happy man. You know what was filling my heart most of a Monday morning? A lot of anger. <laughs> um, a lot of words that you're not supposed to say were coming out of my mouth, OK? <laughs> this past Monday morning. That's pretty minor. But some of us, this is, this is big. Sometimes it's toward, directed toward your, your, your husband. Sometimes it's directed toward your friend. Sometimes it's directed toward your kid. Sometimes it's directed toward God. This is a way of not knowing how to handle the low. Now then there's another one. And by the way, this often goes together. I, I noticed this. There's the, the blame, the blame game. And then there's another one. This one is like, it's like this. You do this one on Monday, and then you do this next one on Tuesday. Or you do this one in the morning, and then you do this next one in the afternoon. You know what the next one is? Self-hatred. You blame yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not responsible enough. Oh, it's because me. 
And so, you know what this is? I know this sounds very strange. It's pride. You know what pride leads to? Fix self-fixation. You screwed me over. <laughs> God, I'm a good person. Oh, if, if only my parents were better. <laughs> if only my parents, only if my dad wasn't such a cold person and just didn't work all the time. Only if my mom wasn't just this horrible person who just, 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 just fixated on all her material goods all the time. If she was just warmer, just there for me. Oh. It's one way, but it's about me. And the other way is then, well, since it's really about me, since nobody else is really here to help us and strengthen us, since it's really about me, then guess what? We blame ourselves too. We point the finger at ourselves. If you're really honest, now, if you have like no sense of self-hatred ever, then you're really crazy. <laughs> you're really crazy. That means you never think it's your fault. You're like truly crazy. So I, I don't have any self-hatred. You're crazy. <laughs> if you have some piece of self-hatred, you're in touch with reality. <laughs> you're in touch with how much you fail. And then there's like these two people inside of us. There's the prideful me. It's all about me. And then checking out me, blaming me. Mm. Okay, those are really ugly emotions, right? Here are other ways it comes out. Fear. Despair. I'm never going to catch a break in this life. Nobody will ever love me. My career is never going to work out. And I'm not good enough. Despair. <laughs> or... Most of us don't quite hit that far. It's, not, it's usually not quite that dramatic. Most of us do this. We do avoidance. Avoidance. That's why we like little TV shows. That's why we, like, we stuff our face. Like for me, like, and that's why people do drugs. Alcohol for some. And then others, like today, like, you know, the harder, there's like much harder stuff, more dangerous stuff. It's all it is. It's all avoidance of one way or another. It's escape. It's escape from this. This, it's, it's all, it's escape from the prison of the life of pride. This, this me life that we built. We're trying to escape it. That's the way we deal with it. But that's, it's all, it all spills out of the pride. We built a life, a pride prison, and now we're trying to escape it. And so then we're like, we like imagine we'll be a better kind of person, but we, you know, deep down we daydream, know that we're like, I'll, we imagine one day, like, I'll be like this great, awesome person, and then like every babe in the room will like just love me. <laughs> Don't tell me, guys, you never think that. That's crap. <laughs> And ladies, of course, you do it the other way around. I will just walk in, and he'll just, wow. And then we're looking for that secret. It's that special cream, that little cream, or that special hairdo. If I just have a hairdo, like, just like that, that special hairdo. I mean, you, I know you guys are too young for this, but, like, when Friends was the most popular TV show in America, the, the hottest star of Friends was Jennifer Aniston. 
And Jennifer Anderson got this layered haircut. And you know what happened? Every stinking woman in America got that haircut. It was crazy. <laughs> White women, black women, <laughs> Asian women, they all got this crazy layered haircut. You kidding? Escape. This is how we handle those. And the worst one is if the despair and the prison and the darkness inside of just being locked into yourself, just being here with yourself, depending on yourself, it's all about me. When that just gets so bad, then we, boom. Ultimate escape. At least that's what we think. Now, I don't want to get too dramatic about this. Let me tell you, you do not want to go to hell. You know what hell is? It's where there's no God. That's what makes hell, hell. In God is everything that matters. Beauty, truth, love, mercy, grace, kindness, hope, everything. Community. In God, there's community. There's family. In hell, there's just you. Hell is where every, gets everybody, everybody gets what they deserve. You built a life of the prison of the me? And God says, okay, you can now have it forever. You don't want to go there. Let's go to part two. Okay, that's, okay, pastor, I'm convinced. I don't know how to handle the lows. Most of us don't know how to handle the highs either. You know, I know that. Um, there's a, we have these daydreams. Most of us have these daydreams. Um, and I will get the good grades, and then I will go to the hotshot school. Do you daydream that you'll go to the hotshot school, and then you'll become really successful in your career, and you'll make lots of money, and then do you daydream that you'll go to Africa, and then, like, you'll give all your money away, and you'll be super kind and generous to all kinds of other people? Is that what you dream? <laughs> Is that what you dream? I will go to the deepest, darkest, hardest place, and then, you know, I'm just going to just love them with everything that I've had because I've been given so much, right? Is that what you dream? Of course not. If we get all the things we want, you know, we, here, here are the things that start to happen. I just, I've noticed this. We get everything we want, okay. So first, we attribute it to ourselves. First, it's because I did such a good job. It's because I studied so hard. And you know, it, it's such, it's such a, um, it's such an enticing lie because it's half true. I mean, because you do have to work hard. You do have to make good decisions. You do have to have some discipline and, and some perseverance and all that stuff in order to, like, have a good job. You actually have to take a shower in order to meet a girl that will actually want to marry you, okay? I mean, like, you know, I know it seems really weird. Okay, I took a shower and cut my hair. <laughs> That's how I got that girl. It was part of it, but actually, there's a, the, the things that made your life work out, probably 80, 70, 80, 90% you can't attribute to yourself. It comes from good genes. It comes from good upbringing. 
It comes from living in a country where, you know, the next tribe doesn't come over and chop your parents in two. It comes from um, living in a time when the economy is good and war isn't going about or disease isn't just being spread all over the place. It comes from the fact that out of all your elementary school teachers, you had three of them that were really good and one of them which inspired you. It comes from the fact that you actually went to a church and your youth pastor actually loved you. <laughs> and when you acted like an idiot, he didn't just like want to kill you. <laughs> like it comes from all kinds of things. It comes from the fact that you just happen to find something you're good at and then you graduate at just the right time and then you happen to get a job in an industry that you were good at. But then five years later, if you had graduated five years later, you would have been poor. Just like all these things is our life. But no, it's because I'm a good person. I, I, I did this. When I see like these really rich billionaires and they go around talking about how great they are, I'm like, oh, gosh. It's like just delusion. It's delusion. Other things that we do, it shows us we have no idea how to deal with. Um, most people, when things turn out really well, they're not filled with praise and thanksgiving. Or they give just a little, tiny little piece of praise and, thank you, God. Thanks, Mo. Thanks up there, dude up there. Mosey on with my life. <laughs> Let me get on with my, like, you know, Tahiti vacation <laughs> and eating whatever food I want. We give just a little flicker, and that's, and we give just a little, like, two cents to God, if that, if even that. Most of us, our life isn't filled with praise and thanksgiving. Actually, most of us, if you are actually really in touch with the reality of all the good things that are happening in your life all the time, all the time, you'd be filled with praise and thanksgiving. You'd wake up in the morning, awesome day. Just yesterday, Yesterday, um, I was at, uh, uh, you know, Ron and Jane's daughter's first birthday party. And then I had to go out and, you know, get the car for my wife. And I went out. Now, I was wearing, like, a coat. I noticed it was a perfect 70-degree day. And this is in the middle of Las Gatas, so people are pretty. <laughs> people are pretty. <laughs> and I looked good. <laughs> and I walked out, and I was like, I said, I noticed... I'm wearing a coat, but I don't feel hot. And it just felt perfect. <laughs> it was a perfect day. It was just enough breeze. And when I was walking to that car, I mean, normally, no, normally I'm a selfish husband. I'm going like, why do I have to go do this for my wife? So annoying. <laughs> That's normally what I'm thinking, right? But while I was walking, I was just I was thinking, this is such a great party. And Yeji, their daughter, is so pretty. And, and Ron's parents aren't even annoying me. They're even cool people. <laughs> and this is a perfectly beautiful day. And, and then I remember to think, praise God. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I was, oh, yes, I should praise God for this. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Um, other things instead of uh, praise and thanksgiving um, you know we're just filled with self-centeredness 
pride. Well, I'm not a prideful person. I don't go around boasting, Pastor. If there's no praise and thanksgiving and gratitude inside of you regularly, then it's just you, right? I, I deserve to get this, right? It's just a normal thing, which means we're just taking it for granted. It just means that's pride, so we're not handling it well. Other ones. Um, are you like this? So, again, I'm not trying to, because I've been here, done that many times. When my life is going good, my prayers just go cold. I just stop praying. Like quiet times, reading the Bible. I go to church, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I've been where you're sitting, okay? I, 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 what is part of like a lot of things I do up here is to just try not to be boring. I have a certain intensity up here so that you won't be bored because I've been there. And so a lot of times I go to church, everything's going good for me. Yeah, let's go to the praise. Okay, well, I'm not going to raise my hand. Okay, cool. All right. All right. This pastor's boring. Let's go through it. Let's go through it. Football's waiting. It's a good day. Let's go out, play football. Good football's waiting. Okay. That's, that's it. We don't pray. There's no thanksgiving. There's no joy in the Lord. In fact, God is just... Why? Because God was a flunky. God was useful. But then, but then when we get sick, or we lose our job, or my wife gets sick, and then all of a sudden, it's like, in case of emergency, break, you know, open this thing. You know, you, you got to pull that thing out. It's like, it's like God becomes the fire hydrant. And now we're on our knees. Oh, God, help me out here. Help me out here. This is the only way we pray. And that means our life is still too much about the prison of me. And if this is the way your life is, You'll never be able to say, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And if this is all that we got, let me say this to you. And I don't say it in any kind of mean way. It's just a fact, okay? You're dying. You're just dying. Death is getting you. Death is beating us. Death is beating me. If this is all we got. Okay, how do you get out of it, Pastor? How do you break out? Um, I'm going to give you a few tips. I'm going to take you to the gospel. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to take you to the gospel and we'll close, okay? Um, number one way, you need to remember that if you believe in Jesus, you're just like, you're, you're at like the... Um, I don't even know, but you're at the preface of your life. You're, you're, you're on like page one of your life. You're in like halfway through the first paragraph of your life. And the first paragraph has some bad stuff in it. But you're in the first paragraph of a super duper novel. And once you get to chapter two, it's resurrection time all the time. Love, joy, 
peace. The fact that you spent five years unemployed or that you spent a year mourning the fact that your husband left you or that for about a year you were just totally depressed because your child died. You just couldn't handle it. For six months, you just cried every day. And then for the next six months, you screamed F-bombs to God. That'll actually just be a little paragraph in your life. That's what resurrection does. Can you believe this? This is Christianity. That's like this little paragraph. If this is your book, it's a little paragraph. That's it. It's just going to pass. And then the life of Jesus will take you to the resurrection and defeat all that death. Boom. That's the truth. That's the truth. If you can remember that, believe that. The next time you're going through a really hard one, just say, this is a, just a bad paragraph. <laughs> the next time, on Monday morning, when that, that person just cuts you off, and you know you're going to be 20 minutes late, and your boss is going to think you're an idiot, just say, this is a bad paragraph. <laughs> just a bad paragraph. The life of Jesus is coming. Resurrection, it just changes everything. This life is the worst hell you'll ever know, and it's just a blip. That's the first thing you remember. It's, it's just the gospel. Let me give you some other tips. Repent. You know what repent means? There's sin inside you. Fight it. But I lose, Pastor. Well, it's okay. Fight it again. I woke up this morning, and then I fought my selfishness. I woke up at 7. By 7.30, I lost. <laughs> okay, so I tried to fight it again at 10 o'clock. Okay, by, by 10.05, I lost. <laughs> I fought my anger and blame, Pastor, but, but by like two minutes later, I lost. Let me tell you something that um, a, a pastor that I, I deeply admire, her name is Min, Min Chung, he says. He says, if you repent, you will grow. Will you fail? Of course. But if you repent, you will grow. Oh, my gosh. I remember him saying this last year, and I was like, <laughs> I was thinking, that's true. So he gave this illustration. He goes, you know, you wake up, you, know, you, you get up on, like, New Year's morning, you go, I'm going to read the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to really read the Bible. And then, like, three weeks later, you're in Le Leviticus. And then, like, <laughs> So he goes, and so he goes, and so he, so he goes, hey, guys, I've read Genesis like 50 times. <laughs> I've read Genesis and Exodus like 50 times. But you know what? If you read Genesis 50 times, you will grow. You will grow. Repent again and again and again. Martin Luther said life is repentance. You know what that just means? Life is a fight. It's a fight against the prison. Fight it. But I keep losing. No, you don't. In Jesus, you will ultimately always win. I promise you. That's the gospel. You notice point number one was believe the gospel. Point number two was believe the gospel. Just a different application. Let me give you a third one. Seek regular worship. And fill your heart with praise and thanksgiving. You know, what we always believe is, I'm just in here by myself. 
But if you go worship God, you'll go, now you're saying, Jesus is in here with me. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm not alone. The next time a bad deal gets held to me, I'm with him. And the next time something good happens to me, I might stop being such a self-centered, selfish, stingy jerk. Because <laughs> I'm with him. Practice regular worship, praise, thanksgiving. I'll give you a quick little illustration. I had a friend, so I've told you about him. His name is Nicholas Black. He's one of the most holy men I know. There was a period, his son was born with a genetic disorder which makes him paralyzed. And he went through a period when his son was sick, constantly sick, and in and out of the hospital. And his son was suffering physically tremendously, but he's paralyzed. He can't say anything. It made Nick Black so angry at God. He's a holy man. This man deeply loves Jesus. It put him in such a black, dark place of anger and despair. He started asking, he goes, I can't get out of this. Pray for me, pray for me. And one of his friends said, you know what you need to do? Every morning, pull out a little journal and just write down something that you're thankful for. Even if it's just weather. Just write down one little thing you're thankful for every day. So he started doing that. He's desperate to get out of this black hole. So he just started writing down things. He had a journal. He just started writing down things every day. He started being thankful for. And guess what? The cloud lifted away. And he came back to being my buddy Nick, the one I deeply admire. Last tip, and then I'm going to tell you the story and we'll close, okay? Be around people who are chasing the resurrection. Be around people who believe in the resurrection, who believe that the divine humanity of Jesus dwells in me and will beat down all my pride. Be around those people. Hang out with them. That's why we have, that's why we have GLF. That's why we have church. I'm like, well, they're not all like that. Well, that's fine. It's the, same, it's the same thing as repentance. Well, I hung out with five Christians today, and five of them were jerks. None of them believed, and none of them seemed to believe in the resurrection today. They were all failures. <laughs> well, so then what are you going to do? Well, they're jerks. I'm going to stop going to church? Well, then you're an idiot. <laughs> you repent, and you fight it again tomorrow. You show up at church tomorrow. I hung out with these four Christians again. They may even be the same five ones. They're the same five Christians. Yesterday, they were all idiots. Wait a second. This one's repenting today. She's fighting. Awesome. Holy Spirit's in the room. God is in the room. We all need these people to be around. But we also need heroes. We need certain special people. And when you go overly high or overly low, the hero will help you remember this is what it looks like. You see... There was Jesus. We all know that Jesus is like the ultimate hero with a capital H. And then we know that there's other people like Jesus, like Paul. He's sort of like mini Jesus. <laughs> He's like the mini super duper. But he was 2,000 years ago. I don't know anybody like that. If you ever meet someone like this, hang out with them. 
If you don't know anybody, read about them. I'm not kidding. Go find a really good Christian biography and read it. If it compels you, think about it. Pray on it. I'm going to tell you about someone who I know is like this. Not 2,000 years ago. This person is still alive. This person's even better than Nick Black. Nick Black is like this, but this person's even better. It's crazy. One of my heroes in life, and some of you know this, um, her name is Beth Kidd. I named my youngest daughter after her. Her name, my little daughter, Elizabeth Kidd. Elizabeth was named after Beth Kidd. Let me tell you a little about Beth, and we'll close this message. Beth leads a ministry called Place of Promise. It's in inner city Boston. It's in a neighborhood called um, Roxboro, or is it, what's the other one? There's like two neighborhoods that are like really poor, mostly black neighborhoods in Boston. I'll tell you a little story about this. She moved there in 1978 when her, when her husband was in seminary. Beth knew the Lord. When she was a teenager, she used to volunteer in the hospital because she thought she was going to be a nurse. And she was going to be a, a missionary nurse in some totally poor, desperate country. And then she would offer people medical services, and then she would get to share the gospel with them. That's what she thought she was going to do. So she prepared for this when she was a high school kid by volunteering in an inner city hospital. This is how she, did, this is how she prepped her life. So now she's finally an adult. She's married. Her husband's in seminary, and she thinks, in the, in the next few years, we're going to be in some crazy poor country. When she, her husband entered Gordon-Conwell Seminary, they had an urban mission program. In order to be part of the mission, urban mission program, you have to live in the city. You have to live, like, Gordon-Conwell is not in the city of Boston. You have to live in Boston. They go, we don't know where to live. Someone told her, we know, we have a place where you can live. We know a place. And it was in this neighborhood. So here was the address. They said, okay. They got into this car. They don't know what this neighborhood's like. They got into this car, this taxi. The cab driver said, this can't be the right address. <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> so what had happened in the 70s is they did segregation of the schools. They were, the schools are all the white people over here and the black people over here, but they decided by law they have to be together. All the black and white kids have to be schooled together. You know what happened? All the white people freaked out. No way. They started protesting like crazy. You know what all the black people started doing? Rioting. Her house was in the black people's neighborhood where there was riots. She said, OK, this is what God provided. Let's go live there. They went to go live there. Every house in the neighborhood was boarded up. And after 5 o'clock, nobody comes out because that's when the guns start. You could, like, literally, you just walk around the neighborhood and get shot. This is our house. They have to, like, break open some boards to get into their house. And they lived in this house. And she said, you know what? We're here. I'll just start doing what I'm going to do in Africa or South America, wherever God was going to send me. So she started knocking on doors and said, do you have any medical needs? I'm a nurse. They looked at her. She's the only white person in the neighborhood. <laughs> looked at her. They just like closed the door on her. Go to the next house. 
Hi, I just moved in next door. I'm a nurse. Do you have any medical needs? <laughs> just, just go around. That's all she just got doing. And they're saying, some open a door, there'd be a mom with a sick kid. Yeah? What's this going to cost? Free. I'll help your child for free. Really? <laughs> a week later, someone knocked on her door. Are you for real? Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. You think she knows how to be brought low? I think she does. She did this for many, many years. In one year, I can't tell you the whole story. I wish I could, because I'm already going too long. <laughs> she, she met a lady who was dying of AIDS. She, there was a woman. So what she does is Place of Promise takes in people out of prison who are drug addicts. Beth Kid calls them multiply injured. That means they were abandoned by their mom, they were raped by their boyfriend, they have AIDS, and they're a heroin addict. That's multiply injured. Everybody in the world hates these people. Everybody has abandoned these people. Beth says, God hasn't abandoned you. I'll love you. So one day, Beth met a woman. She had like these heroin tracks up her arm. And Beth met her in the hospital when she was visiting her other friend who was dying of AIDS in the hospital. And her other friend said, I want you to talk to her. Beth said, no, I don't want to. So you can see she's not super, always super holy. But Beth shared the gospel with her. And according to Beth, she became one of the most beautiful people of God she has ever met. And two years later, when she died, Beth said it was so searingly painful for her. She said, Jesus, I just can't do this anymore. Beth knows how to be low. I can't tell you the whole story of how she, she got through that, but she did. So Beth has only been poor, right? She, doesn't, she also knows how to be high. She also knows how to abound. So let me tell you something funny. If you move into the dirt poor neighborhood of Boston in 1978, and then you just stay there. So here's what she did. She goes, how do you get this house? There's something called Section 5 housing in, in the federal government. The federal government, there's houses. They're so crappy <laughs> that you could buy them for like $1,000 or $5,000. So some really crazy amount of money. I mean, you can buy a house in some of these neighborhoods for less money than it, it takes to buy a 10-year-old Honda Civic. I mean, a 10-year-old Honda Civic costs more than it took her to buy a house. So she found this really large house that would like fit her family and all the people she's ministering to. She paid for it. She raised a few thousand dollars, bought this house, lived in it. And then you know what happened? Over the next several years, Boston started reviving, changing, changing, changing. And then you know what? Several years later, she's living in a house that's worth several million dollars. <laughs> she had bought several of those houses. <laughs> you know what she did with those houses? Oh, well, you know, she, she, you know, she sold the house and then she went to Tahiti, right? No. She raised the money to buy other places to win more people. To draw other people into her ministry. 
that's knowing how to abound. And if you talk to Beth, you know, what she says is the, the best thing in her life is that Jesus is like right here. She's my hero. Whenever I walk through this city, and people just act like jerkwads because they're so rich, or people just feel in despair because they're going poor, and then I just I need to kind of get back to equilibrium, back to the resurrection, I think about Beth. I think about her face. I think about her stories. I think about that I name my daughter after her, and I just pray every day that she'll become like her. I think about Beth. If you have something like this, you, will, you can beat it back. I told you I'm not really good at this, but I've started. You can too. You can have resurrection life and beat it back. Beat back all the death. Let's pray. Lord, it looked like most of the people were paying attention. <laughs> um, I pray they weren't just paying attention. If there was anything of the beauty and the power of the resurrection, the new humanity that you offer us through the humanity of your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that every person who heard this message today would never be able to forget it. It would be a seed that go into their mind and Monday when they're losing the fight against their sinful pride, they would say, oh wait, pastor said repent again. I'll probably lose in 15 minutes, but let's fight it again. And I better get a bath into my life. I pray, Lord, that in this room, in this very, very room, that in the next 5, 10, 20 years, that you would raise up a whole generation of Beth kids. And in this city, we will beat back death with the life of Jesus. We thank you for this promise. We love you. We praise you. We want to praise you and give you all the thanks. May our lives every single day give you praise and thanks and love and honor to you. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.